Hello and welcome to the Final Whistle podcast and to our very first My Story episode where guests will get to share their footballing stories with us. I'm of course joined by Daniel Fears. How are you doing, Dan? Thank you. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. Now, our guest today is a Sunderland fan, but he's better known for being a Sky Sports presenter. It's Tom White. Thank you for coming on. How are you doing? My pleasure. Very, very well, thank you. Good. Um, What is it like working at Sky Sports? Well, um, it's the job I always wanted. I always wanted to be a a Sky Sports news presenter. Uh, It took me a a long time to get there from, from starting out at Sky. And actually, the journey started before that when it came to choosing A-levels at school, choosing my university um, and then getting into Sky. It then took from there seven years to become a Sky Sports News presenter and it certainly hasn't disappointed me. That's what I always wanted to do and it uh, has been as good if not better than I always hoped. Wow, so can you just explain to us your, your journey? How did you get up to working as a presenter at Sky? Well, when I started, I started on work experience, which um, turned into a job as a runner, which is just making teas and coffees. It's the, the you know starting at the very bottom, um, but it certainly wasn't. Uh, I mean, you you weren't getting paid very much at all, but you can't expect to be getting paid a lot for for doing that. But you were still uh, meeting your heroes um, because Sky Sports has some amazing guests, people who were really were my my heroes as a kid. Um, so even that was good fun. But from there, from a runner, worked my way into Sky Sports News. So from then I was typing up the breaking news on the bottom of the screen that you see. Um, and then I was writing scripts for the presenters, cutting the picture to go with those scripts. Uh, interviews were coming in like news conferences, cutting the best bits, putting the script to that, the link in for the presenters to do. Um, and then from there, a reporter to so go into the news conferences myself and asking the questions then up to presenter. Uh, how has your work at Sky changed over the lockdown? What's it like in the studio with distancing? Yeah well I've been I feel very lucky to have still been working all the way through this lockdown um, but normally you go into to Sky I mean it's a huge well it's quite a few buildings all big buildings loads and loads of people there car park can completely full um and it's you know packed full of people and as soon as the the lockdown kicked in there were still just to make sure we stayed on air we still needed a few people in the studio so i would say there would have been hundreds in the sky sports news studio normally on a weekday we were going in and there was one director um, a production team, which would normally be about 12 or 13 people, which is four people. There would be uh, the one presenter and one person on the news desk, and that was it. Everyone else was either working from home or, um, or, or you know, or um, do working, working remotely anyway. So it was completely different in terms of the social distance. Very easy to social distance when there's so few people in. There's various places where you can go and eat or have a coffee in Sky, but we weren't allowed to mix floors. So, for instance, on Sky Sports News, the cafe in there, we were able to go in there, takeaway only, so that you're not actually coming into contact with everyone. All tables and chairs were taken away so that you couldn't sit in there 
with people because you have to completely social distance. And obviously, when you've been watching Sky Sports News for years and years, there tends to be two presenters at the desk. There's only been one now since March. And in terms of guests on set, that's only happened since, since the Premier League started. We've been able to have one guest on watching a game and they're, mild, they're, they're far more than two metres away from you on the set with all that social distancing. And it's actually, it's been strange, but actually quite nice as well. It seemed more relaxed, but I think it's quite amazing that we've, not just Sky Sports News, anyone in, in this situation have managed to stay on air, especially when it's a 24-hour channel with so few people in. Um, and there's setbacks to that. The quality can't possibly be as good when you haven't got so many people who specialise in a certain area. But I think it's been quite incredible that we've been on air because I was quite pessimistic. I thought they might take Sky Sports News off air and just show old games like, like, like they've been doing on Sky Sports Premier League and Sky Sports Golf and such like. That's what I thought they might do. So delighted that they didn't do that. Delighted to be able to keep going. And now gradually we're getting back to some sort of normality. So um, was this the like, weirdest moment that you've uh, witnessed at Sky Sports? Yeah I, think, yeah, I think this is something that no one could ever be prepared for. Sky is, is, is kind of like most big organisations. They're ready for everything, okay? Like, I'm sure there's a plan for if we don't have as many of the Premier League rights as we have. We used to have the Champions League, now we don't. We're prepared for all of these various things. Um, but how on earth could we have been prepared for this? When, when there were rumours around Christmas, January time that the coronavirus was, was growing in various parts of the, um, various parts of, of the world, even then, you think, you, you don't expect to be put into lockdown. And if you do, you're not really thinking, how is that going to affect work? So it's, it was something we, we couldn't prepare for whatsoever. And when, we, when there was first talk of a lockdown here in, in the UK and Ireland, it was like, right, okay, let's make all these plans. And we had plans for new shows. But then with the social distancing coming in, it wasn't really possible to do that. So it's been very, very hard. But then we've realised something I never, ever thought we'd be able to do is actually now we can... I thought that certain jobs you just can't do from home. Being a television presenter, I thought was one of them. Actually, we've proved that's not the case. The football show ran until the Premier League came back yeah. from home. Brilliant. Uh, we still do the football show now uh, with Rob Watton every day, 10 o'clock till midday. Everyone is at home and it's excellent. It, it would look better in a studio. It would look better if you're with the guest as opposed to just on the other end of the computer. This would look better if we were all in the same room. But it's worked so well and it's amazing that I don't think we would ever, ever have tried presenting from our own homes unless we had to like this. And it's been very strange, but really, really quite um, amazing that we've been able to do it. Well, of course, you said that you've been at Sky for quite a long time. Who's the biggest name, in your opinion, that you've worked with or interviewed? Well, the, 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 the biggest name that I've interviewed um, was actually while I was trying to get to Sky, when I was putting a showreel together, you know, like, like you two may go out and interview uh, players and such like and put it on a showreel to, to 
try to get a full-time job at somewhere like Sky or, or anywhere else. I did that and I had um, Sir Bobby Robson, who um, I know he'll have been before your time, but he was uh, the manager of England 1990, Italian 90, when England got the semi-finals and got knocked out uh, on, on penalties to, to West Germany. And that was the first World Cup that I got into football. I was six, just about turned seven. That's what made me fall in love with football. So, so Bobby Robson was the manager, uh, Paul Gascoigne and Gary Lineker, the just key players along with David Platt as well. So, so Bobby Robson was an absolute hero to me. And he uh, allowed me to do an interview with him. And still, to this day, it's very hard to top yeah. that because he, the stories he can tell, he's, he's managed England, obviously. Um, he came fairly close to winning the Premier League with Newcastle. He had a distinguished playing career, had incredible success before my time uh, as manager of Ipswich. Absolutely amazing. He's also managed Barcelona. He's managed um, uh, uh, PSV. So he's he's managed abroad. He's managed England. He's he's managed uh, brilliantly in England as well, all the way through his career, as well as a very good playing career. And it was he was the most he was the best interview I could ever give because he did not shirk any question whatsoever. I think he thought, well, it's just this lad's show reel. You know, it's not going to go. Which it wasn't. It wasn't going to go anywhere. Um. And he, and he was so honest and he let me do that interview for as long as I wanted, even though it was an incredibly busy man. Um, and he knew that I was a Sunderland fan as well and he was Newcastle through and through. He was brilliant. So he, nothing has ever topped that. Um, and there is, I have got something coming up actually with Paul Gascoigne. Uh, not for Sky, for elsewhere. And I'm wondering if maybe that might get on a par with Sir Bobby Robson. But my, my, my best ever one, my favourite ever guest was even before, well, I was, I was basically at the stage that you two were at now. You, you two probably more advanced than I was at that stage. And it was, it was easily the best. I'll never forget it. It was so kind of him to do it. Never forget it. Great man. Sunderland obviously missed out on playoffs due to the points per game system. Did you um, think they were going to go to that or did you think that they were going to play out all their games? Um, I think it, it's quite, it, it's difficult. I, I, first of all, I've been to see Sunderland a lot this season and last season. I've really enjoyed League One, but we were not good this season. We were not good enough. If we'd gone up, we would have had to have an amazing end to the season because I, I think that we... I mean, we could have done it, don't get me wrong, but we were poor. I don't think we deserved it. Um, but going to the points per game, I am against it because the government said it was safe to play. Um, so why on earth did the EFL allow the clubs to vote? I, don't, I think that, that, should, that the EFL should have um, shown stronger leadership there and said, this is what is happening. Right, it's right to have meetings and speak to your members, but the vote was always going to be unfair because the vote was always going to be people were going to vote for whatever was best for them. Right, it wasn't true in all cases actually. In general, that's what people were going to vote for, and I think that was wrong. Now I understand the financial implications of having to get tested twice a week. That costs a lot of money. 
right? But the EFL have money in reserve. Could the EFL have helped, at least helped with the testing, if not paid for it? Uh, I think it's unfair to always yeah. say that the Premier League should bail everyone out, all right? So maybe it's unfair to ask the Premier League. But all the players wanted to play for various reasons. The players wanted to play unless they felt that they were like Troy Deeney in the Premier League at first, worried about um, uh, worried about his, his son's health. That's, that's different. But in general, the players wanted to play. Who looks after the, the players? The PFA. The PFA have got money in reserve. Were they, did the EFL even ask the PFA to help financially? Now, if the EFL exhausted all options and no one was willing to help, all right, fair enough. But they've never said that. They haven't said who they have and haven't approached. And that sits, it doesn't sit well with me that, that the season was just allowed to, allowed to end in that way when the government had said that it was safe as long as you had the testing. But I don't think someone would have gone up anyway but we've produced miracles in the past when it's come to staying in the Premier League. It would have been a lot less than any of those miracles had we ended up getting promoted this season. So I don't like it, but what can you do? I don't like it, but you have to accept it. And if the EFL told us that they'd actually tried to get the funding from elsewhere, all right, maybe I would accept it a bit more, but in the dark and always will be. Uh, I've I've seen on Netflix. I've been watching the uh, the Sunderland Till I Die documentary, and it's you can just see the, the passion from all the fans and what it means to them. And watching you know the journey from, of course, the season in the Championship, and then the season they filmed in League One, and seeing this like passion and desire from the fans. What's your like stand? What your favourite moment as a Sunderland fan? What well, as the whatever or just, just in, ever? Netflix. Yeah. Um, ever I think. It's quite a few. That, I mean, as a, as a Sunderland fan who I do not hate Newcastle at all because I'm, I'm from nearer Newcastle. That's my hometown there, which is which is very near Newcastle, a place called Annick. Um, and in the vast majority of my, my friends are Newcastle fans, so I don't wish any harm on Newcastle. But the derbies are so big. Winning the derbies are a, ve- a very, very special. And under Paolo Di Canio, when he, he, was, he came in in the Premier League for his second game, and we won 3-0 at St. James's Park, when I'd given us no chance, except we were going down, we won 3-0, it came out of nowhere. Um, I was there in the Newcastle end, um, because it was just because getting a, a ticket to the away end at St. James's Park when you're a Sunderland fan, it's very difficult because they don't give you very many tickets, and realistically, you've got to have gone to, to more games. When I work every Saturday, that's hard. So I got a ticket in the Newcastle end as well. Obviously, didn't celebrate or anything like that. That one sticks out as, as quite recent. Um, I remember the season, um, ooh, it would be three seasons after that under Sam Allardyce when we, we beat Chelsea 3-2 at the Stadium of Light and that set up a game away at, Ever- at home to Everton in midweek. And it, that was our penultimate game of the season. We knew if we won that game, we stayed up which was vital because our final game of the season uh, was away at Watford, who had done quite well. Um, and we managed to win 3-0. The atmosphere was just incredible. It was a party. And um, we were 2-0 up by half-time and we were completely in control and won it 3-0. There's another one where, under Dick Advocat, we needed a point away at Arsenal. Again, penultimate game of the season um, at the Emirates. And 
Arsenal 10 times better than us. Absolutely dominated us. We drew nil-nil. Dick Advocat was our manager. He cried on the pitch because he was so emotional. And he, when he explained, he, emo- he, he explained how he didn't realise how passionate the Sunderland fans were. And he was so happy to have done that for them. And he was crying on the pitch. That meant that we survived, which was even more crucial because on the final game of the season, we were away at Chelsea. Whereas Newcastle were at home to West Ham. And Newcastle ended up staying up because they beat West Ham. It sent Hull down. And Hull were at home to Manchester United. And that was going to be a much closer game because Manchester United weren't brilliant then at all. Um, so we would have been favourites to go down had we not got that point. So they really stand out. And then if you're going back further, we came seventh twice in a row under Peter Reid and just pick any of, the, any of the games from those two seasons because it was something else. Being a Sunderland fan then was just... For, for anyone who, who was that was their first era as a Sunderland fan... They mustn't have. They mustn't know what's hit them these days because that was just brilliant, brilliant football. Signing players for next to nothing, who ended up being worth a fortune. That's what we all all want to get back to. So, 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 so many to pick to pick the just one because we haven't ever had that moment. We've we've got to the Capital One Cup final, which um, is the, the League Cup final where we lost to Manchester. To beat Manchester United in semi-finals is up there as well, but we didn't win the trophy. Um, we've been to in the playoffs in my time, but we've never got up in the playoffs in my time. The first season I was a Sunderland fan, we'd just been promoted through the playoffs, but we actually lost. Probably what you don't know is in the semi-finals in 1990 of what is now the championship playoffs, um, we beat Newcastle in the semi-final, got to the final and played Swindon and lost 1-0. But Swindon rather than getting promoted, were actually relegated for having financial irregularities. So Sunderland got promoted because they lost in the final. So even then, and that's, I got into football about a month after that at Italia 90, even that wasn't a victory. So we haven't had that moment in my lifetime where we've got to a final and won. Even the Checker Trade Trophy final Portsmouth last season, we lost on penalties. So I still never, ever had that moment. We've had the great escapes. We've had promotion, but we've never had that moment. And I'm, I, I hope, God, I hope we get it soon. Now, I've, we've just got uh, another, one last question for you here. If you, you've already said how that interview with Sir Bobby Robson was your you know, standout moment. If you got the, the chance to, to interview any footballer or football related person, in anyone in the world, who would it be and why? Well, in, in that case, I'm, I'm going to go, now that I've already interviewed Sir Bobby Robson, it's going to be Paul Gascoigne. And I am going to get that chance soon, actually. It's, um, it's, it, 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 it was actually postponed because of coronavirus. It was supposed to be ahead of the Euros. So it's now going to be ahead of the next Euros. So it's going to be a while, but I'm already looking forward to it. I have met him once. Um, admittedly, he, he wasn't he wasn't really very well, um, but I can't I can't wait for that because he was from from he was he he burst onto the scene in Italia ninety. He was you know he burst on the scene before that really, but it was a surprise that he'd been picked for England and he just took that whole tournament by storm. And as I got older, um, at Euro ninety six, he was out of this world and that's me getting a bit older I mean still 
so you're 96, I would have been 12, just about to turn 13, and just mesmerised by him. Huge story when he didn't get picked for the World Cup at France 1998. He was so close to signing for Sunderland and chose to, to go elsewhere. I think it was Middlesbrough at the time he chose to go, which is still something that I'm devastated about now. So after Sir Bobby, I would have to say Paul Gascoigne, which as a Sunderland fan will shock a lot of people because those two are both Newcastle through and through. But they were my, my two earliest heroes, really, before from the footballing world anyway, before it started being various Sunderland players. So yeah, it's Paul Gascoigne and, and I'm going to get that chance. I'm already looking forward to it. Well, thank you for joining us today, Tom, on the Final Whistle uh, podcast. We're delighted to have had you on and we can all hope that Sunderland can get promoted next year then. Oh, fingers crossed. Thanks, Tom.